Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Today, I'm welcoming back a special guest, Amber Rose Hammond, who's the author of several interesting books on Michigan history and legends. Today, we're going to talk about her book, Wicked Grand Rapids, and venture into the subjects of madams and prostitutions in that city during the Gilded Age. Now, the Gilded Age refers to the economic boom following the close of the Civil War in 1865 and the turn of the century, which historically implied a glittery or gilded surface, but underneath it had a lot of troublesome issues that marked the times, such as poverty, unemployment, and corruption. Grand Rapids was a city that certainly experienced a lot of this, which we're going to explore today. Welcome back, Amber Rose. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. Thank you for having me back again. I'm thrilled. This is fun. I'm actually, uh, I looked at your book a little bit. And uh, I guess for the audience who maybe missed your earlier interview, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in researching local history? Yeah, I got interested in local history because of ghost stories and legends and Around 2000, I had really gotten interested in in, in local hauntings and stuff in my area. And when I started looking into all that stuff for my first book, Ghosts and Legends of Michigan's West Coast, I would find all these little true crime snippets and articles and interesting pieces of just forgotten history in the old newspapers. And that's how I started to collect a lot of this kind of information versus the ghostly stuff. And when I was Mm -hmm. writing my book, Wicked Ottawa County, I was researching a murder that happened in 1896 in Holland, uh, the murder of Enos Lawrence. And he was killed by his wife. And it was a whole big to do in trial because his body was found brutally, like his head was smashed in. He was found in a a river by some boaters. And as I was looking into that story, one of the guys that was implicated in the murder was named Jared Wetmore. And in the papers, everyone just kind of had a fit over, oh my gosh, Jared Wetmore and his sister, Georgie Young, is here to support him in court. And I started to look like, why is she so infamous? And turns out she was one of the big madams of Grand Rapids. And I just started kind of down this weird prostitution tunnel. And uh, (laughs) I didn't think, you know, if someone asked me, hey, what do you think you're going to write about in the future? Prostitution would have never been on my list. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I just kind of fell into this particular uh, realm of research through another story. It happens that way when you're doing research. I do that quite often where I'll find I start going down. You discover something and you go down a different rabbit hole than you intended to. Oh, yeah. So what were some of the different aspects that you uncovered about this period of, say, madams and prostitution in Grand Rapids? Well, the, the history is really fascinating. And the history of Grand Rapids prostitution can be the same for a lot of other big cities out there, whether it's Detroit, Jackson, Kalamazoo, uh, New York City, Chicago, anything out there. Uh, My period of research was really around 1875 to 1889. And I when I would look things up, if anyone out there does do a lot of newspaper research, a lot of your searching involves keywords. And Mm -hmm. I had and there was no shortage of 
things to type in for the names of prostitutes. And I look at there, I have the different names, some of them painted ladies, women of easy virtue, sporting ladies, frail ones, ladies of the wow. evening, working girls, street walkers, scarlet sisters. Uh, and my favorite was always soiled doves. I, I was wow. I got a kick out of that one. And of course the houses themselves went by many names, brothels, body houses, disorderly houses, and most common you'd find houses of ill repute. Uh, mm -hmm. And the whole story of prostitution with women, it, it's really a sad situation. A lot of women would get involved, not by choice. They were single mothers, widows, uh, daughters that might've been kicked out of the house too young, women that had fallen into drug and alcohol problems. Uh, prostitutes, a lot of them were hooked on opium, morphine, alcohol was really mm -hmm. common in a lot of the houses. Lack of education and mental health were blamed a lot of times for getting involved in this uh, profession. And of course, money. If a woman found herself destitute because her husband died, uh, divorced, and she had children to feed, money was a big thing. And doing honest work sometimes brought someone in this era 10 bucks a week, barely anything to cover food, rent, whatever you know expenses someone had. And prostitution wow. could sometimes offer double that to 20 bucks to $100 a week. So I can see hmm. where women, we could sometimes push their morals aside, get involved. Um, some women were tricked into the business. Uh, the term procurus was thrown around a lot in uh, the research I found. And these were women that essentially went out in search of women to bring into the homes. They could get a little bit of a finder's fee from a madam for bringing someone in and seriously wow. yeah and it, and it was that was considered like the lowest of the low that women would get mm. involved in deliberately dragging other women into that profession through trickery and wow. sometimes even newspaper ads would request a cook a housekeeper or a seamstress a girl would show up to the house start working be a little ignorant as to what was going on in the home and before she knew it, she was sort of just ensnared and trapped. They'd ask her to do things she wouldn't want to do or, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to expose the fact that you're here. We're going to let your good name out. And they would get kind of involved uh, in horrible ways like that. And, of course, there was a wow. small percentage that went into it willingly. There was always the high-end yeah. parlors where women wore extremely expensive, beautiful gowns. Uh, you were kind of well protected in the high-end parlors. There was bouncers, bodyguards. You were treated better. You had a place to stay. Men were expected to behave. Some were even expected to bathe before they entertained a night with a woman. And, mm. of course, the idea of being a kept woman by a man who would put you up in a nice apartment and buy you things, uh, visit you when he could, when he was going to leave his wife for a, for a weekend. And to some women, this was appealing, which hmm. again, like I said, was uh, not always the case, but there was a lot of dangers of the job. Of course, disease, early death, suicide, unwanted pregnancy, drug addiction, and of course being beaten or raped uh, would happen to these women. And even sometimes the madam of the house was known to throw a punch or two in if she didn't feel like her girls were behaving. Wow. Uh, obviously, venereal disease, syphilis and gonorrhea were common. 
Uh, they mm-hmm. were maladies that often slowly wasted people away over the years because they weren't treated. And gonorrhea, weirdly enough, was the lesser evil of the two because women, it could leave them sterile, which if your chosen profession is prostitution and you don't see a way out, you kind of wanted to become sterile because becoming pregnant was probably, you know, bothersome. Uh, you had a kid now to care mm-hmm. for, which the guy was not going right. to pay for. And you also, it would put you out of work for nine months or at least a few months. Uh, wow. The other weird thing that I thought, oh God, it's just a horrible, vicious circle was there would be corrupt doctors that would give these houses of prostitution fake certificates of health. And so the working girls would get this certificate that basically said, I'm, I'm healthy. I don't have any venereal disease. I'm great. And so when the men would come for a night and they'd end up with a disease, they would often then be referred to that corrupt doctor for treatment, of course. Wow. So it was like a racket within a racket. (laughs) And naturally, prostitutes were also the total outcasts of society. Uh, A lot of Uh women that did a lot of volunteer work, Christian societies that went out and helped people, uh, they wouldn't even bother to help prostitutes. They were just the bottom and it was known as the unforgivable sin. So there was just mm-hmm. no helping these women. There was there was nothing there for them. They were just, like I said, the bottom. Um, jail was obviously common for a lot of these women. I Their stories were preserved a lot, little snippets in police blotter. There, I'd find mm-hmm. a name, so-and-so, house of ill repute, you know, brought in for fines, paid her whatever and left. And so I'd start finding these names, look these people up, see if I could find anything more about them. And mm-hmm. with the law, a lot of cops kind of looked the other way because in Grand Rapids, it, prostitution was illegal, but during this era, it was just considered a misdemeanor. And often the police, mm-hmm. if, if, the, if your house, if you were a madam and running a house, and you kind of kept in good step with the police. You, you told the police who your girls were, um, maybe even told them some secrets once in a while, because sometimes the people that came into these homes, the cops knew they, they could go to one of these homes and be like, so we know uh, Black Eyed Joe was in here the other night. What can you tell us? <laughs> and they would often be able uh-huh. to you know, give the police some, some good leads on some stuff because it's just they were part of the underworld. So it was just kind of trading information for survival. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, raids on homes were really common on the on the brothels, especially if you Uh weren't in good standing. So the police one night could just decide to raid your place and all the women would be brought in little parade of prostitution. Um, The men that got caught there, they'd get brought in, slapped on the wrist, had to pay a fee. And I I got a kick out of some of the old police blotter because it would talk about the high class gales and that they'd show up in the jail in their fancy dress, just pull a wad of cash, you know, out of their bosom and pay mm-hmm. their fine and, and walk off and didn't even have to show up to jail the, the next day or court, spend time in jail for the night. Uh, wow. And one of the one of the other interesting things that I did find was that the houses often had a silent partner which meant that these homes were owned sometimes by prominent businessmen who had Uh good reputations, were involved in their local churches, but they knew what their homes were doing. They knew what the property they purchased, they knew what was going on. 
And so I thought that was sort of interesting because one of the names that I found in conjunction with the body houses was Blodgett. And Blodgett is still a oh. big name in Grand Rapids because it's the name of a hospital. And I was like, oh, boy, interesting hmm. to see some of those those big prominent names even back then. Wow. And so you found a lot of this information through newspaper archives and what, maybe biographies from the era or something? There, or? Well, their newspaper was my primary source because these women, uh -huh. usually their story wasn't recorded anywhere else. Okay. And you could sometimes find some information by going through, uh, like, you know, you could head over to Ancestry.com and you could look at census records and at least you could verify uh -huh. where homes were, that these women did exist, if they had any family. And you could sometimes right. piece together a few extra facts uh, in that way. But really the only way I could find stuff about these women was searching their name endlessly through different papers. And I know there's wow. different papers. The Grand Rapids Press was... Uh -huh. A little more, I don't want to say classy. They didn't want to uh -huh. report on that kind of stuff as often as something like the Grand Rapids Herald. And right. I haven't checked in a while, but a lot of the Herald was not digitized when I was working on this project. So I know that there was a lot more little snippets and stories about some of these women that I just unfortunately didn't have the time to go through old microfiche and just endlessly search. So it's wow, more of yeah. that stuff becomes digitized over time and more accessible. I'm sure that I'll be able to kind of piece together a few more stories or add a little bit more mm -hmm. to some of these women's lives that I didn't have when I was writing this book. Yeah, it's all. it sounds very much like uh, Les Miserables, you know, mm -hmm. the whole... Well, that, that's kind of fascinating. So d you mentioned that um, there was the role of the madam in all of yeah. this. What what was the what was the madam's role in kind of the in the house of uh, prostitution? She was there? the boss. She had to manage everything, manage the girls, oversee the people that came in, pay the bouncers, pay off the police, order the drinks, keep the house clean. She just she did everything. And if you had a bad madam, you didn't have a good house. A lot no. of the madams treated their their women very well. They kind of looked at them like daughters because it was called uh -huh. also the Scarlet Sisterhood. These women band together because they had no one else. You know, like I said, they're, they're, they're bottom of the barrel. And uh -huh. they there was a lot of little stories about some of the madams passing away. And some of the things I found when I was reading like their obituaries were that they would pay when a, when a one of their uh, fallen sisters would die, they would often pay, step up and pay for the funeral because no one else was going to do it. And hmm. they would show up to each other's funerals, support each other. And uh, it was just kind of uh, oddly heartwarming at times reading about this because wow. it's just they, they only had each other. Yeah, and then they were struggling with the poverty of the situation and trying to stay afloat. Did you uncover any other cities in western Michigan that may have had similar districts um, with madams and prostitution? Kalamazoo had, had similar stuff. Some of these, some of the women that I would follow, I'd find them for a while uh -huh. working in Kalamazoo. I'd find them 
over in Muskegon. Uh, sometimes you'd find them as far away as Detroit, the same name. I know I, I have hmm. not spent a ton of time looking up a lot of Detroit stuff. It's always been on my to-do list. I know D- Detroit right. had plenty of this stuff going on. Um, yeah, it was a larger oh, city. Yeah. And uh, but but I the reason I found the Grand Rapids story so interesting was because of one of the madams, Georgie Young, and who who was the woman that, you know, kind of led me into all of this research when I heard her name when I was researching, you know, that Holland murder. And Georgie, she was the most notorious, most well-known madam of her time. She ran her house from around 1879 to 1889, so a good solid decade. And the poor girl, she grew up in Pennsylvania. She was poor. Mm-hmm. Her dad died when her and her twin brother were just six months old, and her mother had a handful of kids to feed and ended up moving them over to Illinois to be closer to her father. And while they were there, her, the kids started to get older, and they went off, found jobs. And Georgie was still mm-hmm. quite young, stayed by her mom, and eventually they moved to Sand Lake, Michigan, where her oldest son mm-hmm. was living. And once Georgie and her mother were there, Georgie was 15 and she went off to a fair that was being held in Grand Rapids. And while she was at the fair with one of her brothers, she lost him, couldn't find him. It started to get dark. And this woman named Jenny Holden came up to her and said, hey, what, you know, you're crying, what's wrong? She explained her situation and Jenny said, well, come to my house, you know, we'll look for your brother tomorrow morning. Okay, great. Next morning, they go looking. He's nowhere to be found. And, you know, at this time, there's no phones. There's no cell phones. You can't text your brother and say, hey, where are you at? (laughs) I can't find you. It's a totally different kind of desolate feeling. So Georgie ended up paling around with this woman for a bit. And as they're kind of just doing stuff, going places, this Jenny Holden invites her friend, Charlie Young, to hang out with them. And Charlie ends up proposing to Georgie, which is kind of uh-huh. really weird because Georgie's only 15. You can't legally get married yet. But explains, uh-huh. I have a house, or no, his name was Char, uh, Char- did I say Charlie? What's Charlie? So Charlie ended up getting married. And he, uh-huh. she's, Georgie's told to lie about her age, tell the judge that she's 17. And uh-huh. the next day, this dude just leaves her. She learns like he has no house, nothing. I, there was never even a reason why they did this besides Georgie just thought, this will be a good thing. I'll help my mother out. He has a home. I should do this. Wow. Ends up with the guy's mother, who is just rotten to her and figures, you know, you ensnared my son into this. Da, 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 da. And she ends uh-huh. up leaving. And she's trying to find work. She's going house to house saying, hey, do you need a, a, a girl to clean anything, do anything for you? Of course, she has no references, which was a big thing then. You have no references, like no one to vouch for you. So she ends up right. going back to Jenny Holden. Jenny Holden starts taking her around different places, Kalamazoo, Indiana. And she's pretty much going to body house to body house. And the poor girl is so ignorant at this time. She doesn't even really know what's going on because she was never even taught anything about the birds and the bees or prostitution. Oh, wow. So she ends up falling into this lifestyle. Um, As a kid, she's in and out of jail here and there, probably for vagrancy. 
um, maybe so I assumed like could be some shoplifting. He was in workhouses. And then finally, she ends up at some point opening up her own house. She did start out with another madam named Mate Morrison. And I think from that point on, uh, she saw how lucrative this career could be. And she huh. ended up opening up a house. And from that point on, she became one of the wealthiest madams in Grand Rapids. She was making at one point $16,000 a week. Wow. That's that's considerable considering the inflation oh, yeah. ratio. On oh, that. yeah. That's... And, that's, um, and that's, that's, that's actually considering inflation for that time. Um, oh, okay. So by 1887, she's 29. She owns entire city blocks, which is unheard of for women at that time. She's essentially mm -hmm. a businesswoman in the underworld when women aren't allowed to own property or be businesswomen. And mm -hmm. so she was known to be a good madam. She took care of her girls. She ran a good house. The police never had issues with her. And around, I want to say like in the 18, let's see, I got the day, 1887, there was a superintendent named Israel Smith on the police force who made it his mission to rid the city of vice. And so he mm. wanted to just do raids on all the homes, get these women out of there because the area where a lot of these homes were at, you had this now growing downtown district starting to encroach on this sort of seedy area, which they didn't want. Mm. So, Time to clean up the dives, yeah. and this became a big problem for a lot of a lot of the women. It's when, during this time, a lot of the madams just shuttered up their places, left. Um, some actually, uh, one that I I think her name's um, Ellen. I got it written down somewhere. Ellen something, but anyway, she uh, she killed herself, and oh kind of left that as a note to the superintendent. Like, here's my answer to me moving my house. Wow. And so Georgie ended up repenting, I guess you could call it. There was a movement going on where uh, they wanted to, there was like an urge for Christian women to go out and reform these fallen women. Uh, I think it was called uh -huh. the moral, moral purity movement. So okay. <laughs> Georgie ends up moving her home and turning it into the Emerson Home for Fallen Women, which was a first of its kind in Grand Rapids because it was a refuge for women trying to get out of this business. Uh, if you wanted to leave a house, you could go to the Emerson Home, have a place to stay, maybe dry out if you were on drugs, and just get some advice and hopefully start over. So you finally had people willing to step up and do something to improve their these women's lives. And Georgie hmm. did run the house, and as a way to bring in money to support the house, she did write her autobiography uh, that was published in 1889 called *A Magdalene's Life*. And everyone hmm. was—they were all excited, like they thought it was going to be a juicy tell-all about a madam's life and her life in prostitution and all the sort of details. And really, it ended up just saying, "Hey, here's my history. Here's how I got involved." I'm not going to give you juicy details, and I'm going to give you a stern lecture on why you people have treated these women wrong and how you can do better. <laughs> wow. And it, she printed a thousand copies, and it sold out like that. And you can find this in PDF out there. Uh, so if okay. you type in Georgie Young, 
A Magdalene's Life. I think you can find it out on Google Books or somewhere out there because it's you know long out of print. And Georgie went to, she ended up setting up homes in Kalamazoo, Denver, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and she ended up getting married uh-huh. and she did have a child and ran a theater in Superior, Wisconsin with her husband. And I know she divorced him at some point and died in 1920 at age 62. But for the longest time, people even thought, oh, Georgie's running a theater because even theaters had that reputation sometimes of being sort Mm -hmm. of uh, shady little resorts that might have prostitution going on. Wow. That's kind of an interesting story. I mean, she flipped from one side of the business to caring for the women and salvaging the women that were coming out of the business. That's a that's quite a tale. You could almost write a book just on her alone. Oh, yeah. And I I searched and I searched and I searched uh, endlessly, I think for, gosh, like a whole year, just every night mm-hmm. trying to find any little piece I could. And I'd always get so excited when something, when I'd find something new, something new would get digitized and something else would pop up, you know, and I spent time at the Grand Rapids Public Library uh, and tried to find as much as I could, you know, in their files and in the stuff that hadn't been digitized yet, too. And I, again, yeah, like I said earlier, I really hope that still more pieces to her puzzle come out. I, I know she had a twin brother, which I found out later on, and that was where Ancestry came in handy. And I uh-huh. don't know if I would have ever known that her real name was Jenny Wetmore had it not been for her brother getting implicated in a murder trial. And then being able mm-hmm. to use his name, Jared Wetmore, go searching for where she said she was born and kind of, you know, go from there. It was just kind of like little little happy accidents to kind of at least piece together the, you know, the truthful parts of her life. Yeah. Interesting. So what part of town in Grand Rapids? I know Grand Rapids has changed, obviously, since that time period. It was... Was it closer to the downtown as we know it today? Yeah, or? yeah. The, the main street where there was a lot of uh, brothels was Almy. Now, Almy doesn't exist mm-hmm. anymore. It was removed in 1905. If you're, if you're someone that likes to look at old plat maps, you can still find Almy and get an idea of where it was at. But it was in the current area of Van Andel Arena, which most people are familiar oh. with. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that. So it's probably right on those grounds where they built or the, the, the arena? It, in that area. And then you had Kent Street, which was also another popular spot that is now, it's still there, but it's called Bond Avenue Northwest. Hmm. And then you had Canal Street, which was a big spot. And that one has been renamed Monroe Street. Wow. So uh, it's the same thing with almost every town you study and research the the whole uh, maps and the uh, the platting changes over the the centuries, but um, it's still neat to trace down where kind of this was because it was all, it was probably a very small community back at that time. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, did you find any other interesting stories about that time period with prostitution? Well, with the prostitution, there was a few other madams that were popular. Um, and the name I was trying to remember earlier was Ellen Nellie Smith. And she she ran a house, I mean, not as successful as Georgie, but still widely respected. Uh, she was known, like, if, if a child were to come to her door lost, she was the first to help that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, just a total, like, philanthropist. Some of these women did take some of the extra money they made, and they went out and helped people in need, women that were in poverty. They did good deeds. And we had another woman, Agnes mm-hmm. Carpenter, 
and she ran her her place was called the farm Mm -hmm. i'm not sure why but that was the nickname used it was on mcconnell street and she was in the early kind of 1870s a little bit before georgie's time but still friends with georgie uh when um Mm -hmm. nellie smith passed away the papers mentioned that her pallbearers were georgie young Agnes Carpenter and a couple other gals named Minnie Brown and Emma Rogers. And like I had mentioned, you know, they all band together when it came to their deaths and their funerals. Uh, Molly, Mm -hmm. Molly Bowen was another name that was around and uh, she was, had a house and uh, Sarah Glover was one of the other ladies that intrigued me because the papers reported her walking or, or uh, riding around a really expensive black horse around town there was something regal about her mysterious and she Mm -hmm. was the madam that ended up just calling it quits when the superintendent started making it really difficult for everybody and she planned her death she dressed herself in the clothes she wanted to be buried in she took Mm -hmm. care of all of her finances and when people found her laying on her bed she od'd on something uh Everything in the house that had any value, she had a note on it stating where where she wanted it to go and who it should be given to. Wow. And she still wasn't like destitute. She still had about $37,000 uh, in today's currency uh, in her bank account. But hmm. just, I don't know, when I, when I learned about her and just imagining this woman on this, you know, black horse, dressed fancy, rings on her fingers... Um, just makes me want to go mm-hmm. back in time and just, you know, glimpse some of these people. And uh, I would love to find photos of these women. And I never have been able to, even working yeah. with the Grand Rapids Public Library, trying to find pictures of these homes or these areas. It was really difficult. I was able to find some pictures that they, that some of the great librarians there helped with that were sort of in that vicinity of Olney Street by Van Andel. And it does look run mm-hmm. down and crappy and but georgie's house they called it the castle was definitely like Hmm. a very nice large uh little mini mansion that she had going so you've got this a whole collection of these stories in your book wicked grand rapids and you've got other tales from that period of time murders and whatnot how can people find out about your book where can they locate the book Anywhere books are sold, you can head over to Amazon, you can go to Barnes and Noble, you can head over to my website, mysteriousmichigan.com, and you can purchase directly from me, which I thoroughly appreciate. I'll sign the book and throw in some cool stuff with it, stickers, bookmarks, all that good stuff. Um, And if you do buy from Amazon, um, hey, a positive review always goes a long way. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks for taking the time to tell us a little bit about this history. That's a kind of a forgotten chapter in Grand Rapids history. Well, it, it is, you know, and I, I think I think when I started researching this, I had made an introduction in the book for this chapter that talked about how shocked I was. I mean, shocked and not shocked about this happening in Grand Rapids. Growing mm-hmm. up in West Michigan, you just don't think about houses of prostitution and, and prostitutes. You know, you you equate that with larger cities like New York City or Chicago or something. So mm-hmm. I think that was one of the fun yeah. aspects about researching this in a kind of know, religious conservative area and just sort of unpacking these little 
dark nuggets of history just to remind people like, hey, this stuff was was everywhere. Even in my hometown of Grand Haven, there's a great, fantastic bar that's still there it's called the Tip a Few Tavern. And it's an old building. Mm -hmm. And when you go upstairs, it's not open to the public upstairs, but you can see where all these tiny, tiny little rooms had been um, sectioned off. And the rumor always was that the men would come off of ships from the Grand River there. That was a former mm -hmm. hotel, that building, a small inn, and that there was yeah. often uh, the luxury of a prostitute available at that place. Yeah, I know during the Prohibition era, too, there was probably a lot of that as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's never it's never gone away. It's, mm -hmm. the, you know, it's the oldest profession in the world. Right. So it's it's always been there, whether the city's big or small. It just with with bigger cities, you have bigger productions. Yeah, it's just transformed over the decades and centuries. And Right. And anything you'd like to tell us about uh, this chapter of history before we wrap up today? Uh, if you are someone out there that has researched similar topics like this or through your store, uh, research, whatever you do, you found uh, little snippets of this type of thing, I'd love to hear about it. I love when other fellow history researchers reach out and share their stuff because you never know what I might have to share with someone mm -hmm. and help each other out. Well, I'll certainly be doing that if I come across it. I'll certainly send any clippings and information your way. Yeah. And anybody else out there in the listening audience that likes to do this sort of thing on Ancestry.com or Find a Grave or any of the other research places out there, uh, you can certainly reach out to Amber Rose through her website. And I will put the links to your website in the description of this podcast so that people can connect with you if they want to. Perfect. I've been talking with Amber Rose Hammond, the author of Wicked Grand Rapids and several other books about history from Western Michigan. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. Hopefully it will be a positive one where you can inspire other people to listen to this podcast. I will put the links to Amber Rose's website in the description of this podcast so you can check it out and get in contact with her if you'd like. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. You can send me a contact form on there, and I'd be happy to hear from you. If you have a recommendation for another topic of history, or perhaps a guest that I might interview, I would be very interested in hearing from you on that too. And so until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore yet another fascinating and interesting chapter of Southwest Michigan history, thanks for listening.